Sleepy Hollow is a place like no other. A place where the forces of good and evil collide for the fate of the world. Prophecies foretold witnesses destined to protect us all. But will they prevail? Armed with keen insights and the ability to see into dark realms. Well, maybe. Barb and Steve help decipher The Witness Prophecies, a fan podcast dedicated to Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Welcome back, sleepyheads. This is episode 39 of Witness Prophecies. I'm Steve, and it is scenery worthy of Nebuchadnezzar himself. And I'm Barb, and a change of scenery would be good for me. Today, we're going to discuss the second Sleepy Hollow episode of season four entitled In Plain Sight, which was written by Brian Q. Miller and directed by Mark Roskin. Wowzer. We had a lot of fun with this epi, I think, last night, didn't we, Steve? Yes, we did. It was quite a uh, little roller coaster we had going there. It was, although I think that that snake was stuck in my throat for a while, too, because I'm all raspy today. I'm not sure. <laughs> Woo. A little scary, you know? Exactly. Man, I could have blown up like those two, you know, jerks in the bar. Yeah, they were jerks indeed. Yeah, they were. But we did get a little movement in this episode, so uh, we'll see where we go from here. Absolutely. We have a lot to talk about. Yes, we do. All right. How about a recap, Barb? I can do that for you, Steve. We open an Ichabod Crane's dream where he sees a young girl and discovers that Jenny Mills has been using the singing bowl as a witness detector. Crane decides to head to the vault to find answers. Jake is excited to assist, while Alex is skeptical after discovering there has been only one Ichabod Crane, who disappeared in 1781 and reappeared three years ago in Sleepy Hollow. Jake is convinced that Crane is a time traveler. Meanwhile, Malcolm Dreyfus has procured an article fact from the three dire sister witches after turning two of them against the other. They kill liars. Diana Thomas is called to investigate and she enlists Crane. Crane notices that the picture on Diana's cell phone is her daughter Molly, the young girl in his dream, and tells Jenny, who drives over to Molly's school to see this person who has received Abby's responsibility. Diana is angry to see Jenny and after a short conversation, Crane, Jenny, and Diana hunt down the two remaining witches in their protected and invisible home. After they are attacked, Crane is able to disable the protective spell and the witches die. Crane realizes they were protecting an artifact given to them by George Washington, that it was part of his new organization, and that this event and the demon they destroyed previously are linked. Crane and Jenny will tell Diana about Molly being a witness later. Meanwhile, Dreyfus and Job are bringing one of Crane's compatriots to Washington to bring death and destruction. On the foggy road, we see the Headless Horseman. Woohoo! Oh, I know. That was fun. That was exciting, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Headless is back. He's back. All right, so before we start talking about all the fun that could possibly involve, Steve, how about a little bit of news this week? All right. In ratings, uh, episode one, Columbia, the final ratings were 0.6 and a two share in 18 to 49 with 2.19 million viewers. This week's episode, In Plain Sight, the preliminary ratings, very steady, 0.6 and a two share in 18 to 49 with 2.15 million viewers. Yeah, now it's going to be a while before we see the um, seven plus. Yes. And probably one thing we can take a look at too is go back and 
see what happened at the uh, end of last year, kind of where the averages are. I'm, I'm sure we're starting off lower. But I think that there was an ar- also an article out there that I just recalled saying that they're going to be watching on Netflix for this as well and, and see how this does because there still is some strong appeal out there. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it, you normally have about a 20% drop from the season premiere to the second episode, and we are not seeing that. So that's really great news. No, and they know that they've got a, a core group of individuals who are still supporting the show. So, and I think they're hoping for some good word of mouth. And so here we are along for the ride. And boy, it's going to be a different ride this year. Yes, it is. So, Steve, how did you rate this episode? All right. I gave it 8.5 lie detecting witches. Woohoo. And I gave it eight stacks of pancakes over cold cereal. And then our uh, bestie Justina, she gave it eight out of 10 magical clocks. Nice one, Justina. Very nice. All right, Steve. So shall we get into it? Let's do it. All right. All right. We start with Ichabod in his dream search for answers about the next witness. And fortunately, he had some help from Miss Jenny and her Tibetan singing bowl. Have we seen that before on here or not? No. Okay. We've seen several other methods of trying to uh, do what Crane uh, was doing, but not exactly the singing bowl. Yeah, I was trying, I was sitting there trying to think. Scorpions and something else that we've tried as well. For some reason, maybe it's just the sound of the bowl seemed to pull me back a couple of seasons, but (laughs) anything could happen. Yes. And of course, while he's in his dream state, he sees a small girl, approximately 10 or 11 years old, wakes up, and Miss Jenny tells him that he was out cold for at least a half a day. Apparently, they started this the night before, and it was already morning, so... That's a long time to be dreaming. Yeah. (laughs) And to be chasing... uh, a phantom for most of it until <laughs> the last part of it where the phantom finally says, okay, I'll let you see me. Uh, yeah. Though, of course, it was very childish-seeming game that was being played with Crane. So, who knows? Now, of course, Crane is also very grateful that Jenny has decided to relocate to D.C. It was so nice. And here, watching them sitting together outside of her trailer, which I was glad to see she brought along with her. And here they're having some heart-to-heart talks, and then they'll have another one late. They're going to have several heart-to-heart talks later. And I think this is going to be one of the wonderful things that will really help us this season is watching the additional bonding between the two of them. I mean, they both lost the people that were completely dear to them. Yes. And they both actually feel like they need to be there for the new witness because they have things that they think that will help this person along. Absolutely. So Crane decides he's going to head to the vault and it's awesome. He finds out that he doesn't have the credentials to get in the uh, proper way. You would think that he would have a clue about that? Well, I don't know. Sleepy Hollow is small enough. Maybe they don't, maybe in their government buildings, of course, they were a lot more trusting and you didn't need to badge in and badge out of everywhere, right? Right. But you sure do in the big city. So, of course, he has to take the underground tunnels and... 
scared the dickens out of uh, Alex and, <laughs> and Jake. <laughs> Although those two were quite creative. Yes, I thought so as well. They were they prepared quickly, <laughs> just in case. Well, Alex did, and she is the weapons expert after all. <laughs> right. And of course, he asked for some books um, regarding dreams and such, and within two seconds, Jake has got them. He knew right where they were, grabbed them all, and dropped them on the table. As the dust came flying off of the books. Right. So you think, okay, Jake is really into this. He's on top of it. Then Crane decides that he needs to have uh, Jake decode some of Franklin's other books. And, of course, Jake says, I don't have the cipher for that. And Crane conveniently provides him with it. Yeah, because I think that uh, Crane was kind of, he looked kind of irritated that Jake was just standing there looking over his Shoulder. Over his shoulder with, with all the enthusiasm of a young puppy. I mean, he really did. He's just so, he's so fanboy gaga for, uh, for uh, Crane. It's very funny to watch. Yes, it is. But he definitely wanted a little peace and quiet to himself. So he gave him the cipher and off he went. Well, I think that was pretty smart of Crane to think about that in advance. To, yeah, to know that he was going to have to send Jake off to do something else so that he could look for very, very specifically for what he wanted in case he doesn't want any of them to quite know about that yet. Yes. Because basically, too, he's their boss and they don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> he's an undercover boss. There you go. Now, of course, before he really gets into his uh, investigation, he gets a call from Diana and she's probably as shocked at calling him as he is of receiving her call, but she's got 15 minutes before texts arrive and she wants to know what Crane thinks of this murder scene. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting that she said that she called him for help, but she doesn't know why. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, that's those are all the outside supernatural forces that are coming to bear, or because of what we know about Molly now. It's there's something that's inherited. It's in the genes. Of course, Crane gets there and IDs the victim as a witch. They notice the stab wounds and the tongue has been cut out. And then he kind of uh, really uh, pulls one on uh, Diana by um, getting out his cell phone and turning on the camera and showing Diana that it's not this young lady. She's actually very old and haggard. Yeah, well, actually, I think what, what had happened is that Diana was going to take a picture of the corpse to send it on uh, to the texts that were coming. But then right. when she saw that it was an older woman and not this young person who was on the, on the phone, she's like, I can't send this. That, <laughs> right? Yeah. Crane identifies it as a glamour, a method of mystical camouflage used since the persecutions in Salem. And you keep waiting for Crane to really slip up and he came so close several times yeah oh i know her what what, <laughs> what? yeah and actually he did <laughs> and of course he explains that a british officer named john andre was accused of spying and was delivered to george washington he arrived with his tongue cut from his mouth associated with 
Benedict Arnold, the general, paid thanks to the three women, the Dyer sisters, who belonged to a coven. Yeah, because apparently uh, they turned this guy in, and obviously they cut out his tongue. They seem to have a gift for doing that. Yes, they do. In their own special, (laughs) caring way. They uh, realize that the two sisters have actually killed the third one because of the stab wounds to the back. And the biggest reveal of all is once they're in the vehicle and heading back, Crane sees Diana's cell phone's desktop and realizes that he has found his vision in one Miss Molly. And he was shocked. Yes, that was definitely his oh my moment. Yes, it was. And of course, Crane's got to call Jenny and Jenny basically tells Crane that yes, this isn't a possibility. This is actually who the witness is. And he goes, well, I know who it is now. It's Diana's daughter. And then, the, of course, the best scene of the whole episode occurs when Diana has to go pick up Molly from school and Crane gets out of the vehicle. As he's walking up, you see her just kind of just glaze over for a brief second and then opens her mouth and goes, hello. Yeah. The intensity of the look that each of them gave the other one. <laughs> yes. Was astounding. Yeah. Ona Yaffe may not be very old, but wow. Incredible actress. And she can cook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that was absolutely, that was astounding. Just watching the two of them. Because I will tell you, as I watched them look at each other as he came walking up, because, of course, Diana is having a heated discussion with Jenny about, Jenny, what are you doing there? Right. I thought at that moment, everything would be revealed. And yet it wasn't. It was almost as if Molly, then once she said hello, it kind of snapped her out of a trance. And she doesn't, I don't even think that she understands how significant this is. I wonder if she even remembers that she was drawing sketches of him is now what I'm wondering. That's going to be a very good question because she did later on mention that it was like a shadow had come over her shadow. Yes. So, yeah, she may not have any clue who she is now. Because remember, one of the things that was happening, too, is that when Abby was uh, drawing the symbols all the time, a lot of the time she was doing it without even being aware of it. Right. So I wonder if, if Molly or Diana are going to discover the sketchbook and it'll be like, what? Right? Yeah. 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 I don't remember drawing these, uh, Molly. Yeah, I exactly. Really yes. And then Diana will look all cross-eyed at <laughs> Crane. For- She's going to think that he's like a, mm-hmm. a child molester or something. This is going to be kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah, it could go a whole lot of different ways here. It could. Of course, we do get to see Crane, Jenny, and Diana track down the two other sisters and find their house, thanks to Crane's cell phone camera. And they go in. It seems like there's nobody there. But unfortunately, they set off the alarm, shall we say. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Oops. Set off the security alarm, and Diana goes underground, or at least down as floor and crane is left to deal with one of the witches while jenny goes to help diana and deal with the other one yeah when that when the whole room started kind of like or the clock sort of had that um 
I'll call it timey-wimey vibration to it. Right. <laughs> it's like, uh-oh, and then zip, there's, a, there's an evil witch, and then boom, Diana's gone through the floor, out of there. Oops. Yes. And of course, it was real interesting that the witch that Crane was dealing with automatically picked up on his deception that he's playing out with right now with Diana, Alex, and Jake. And she also knew then about Molly as the young girl. And and at that point, I got a little concerned and I thought, what if these witches live and then they have something they feel that they can trade with Dreyfus again? And, and that uh, thought crossed my mind. But fortunately, that's not going to be the case. No. Fortunately, Crane is able to damage the clock enough to make it go poof and... So did the witches. And that was fortuitous since she was chanting away to kill him and uh, he was starting to get and those he, big yeah, veins he, on his face. I thought, oh, no. Yeah. Crane was getting very close to um, losing something. I'm not sure what, but it was yeah. going to be something. Now, of course, Crane and Jenny decide that, yeah, we really need to tell Diana because Jenny felt like Diana handled herself pretty well dealing with the witches. And of course, they go park outside the house and they see them having such a good time. Crane decides not yet. I think he was still trying to let it completely sink in himself and maybe even trying to figure out, well, exactly what it, what does this mean? I mean, they were so stunned to realize that, as Jenny said, it's a kid. She's a kid. Yeah. Just the way that all the rest of us are stunned. Really? The next yeah. witness is a kid? <laughs> so yeah, you, we, we all probably need a little bit of time to allow that to sink in and then figure out, well, exactly what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. And that will probably be the one thing that will either make or break this season. I agree. If, if they have got a perfect plan laid out on how to handle this, everybody will stay behind them all the way through the season. And it's com uh, it's completely different. I was sitting here scratching my head earlier, trying to think of any longer running TV shows that used a child in a supernatural fashion like this. Right. Yeah. Usually, and you think of the of the movies like, okay, so Carrie was a teenager and she was kind of like a, but she was like she had she kind of had her own laser eye thing going. Yeah. Um. But she was a teenager, and and I was sitting here scratching my head, and I and and I couldn't think of anything. I thought, well, I'm going to have to go look this up on Google later on. So if there, if there is anything like that out there, maybe some of our very smart listeners can tell us and we can go check that out. But Absolutely. nothing was coming to mind for me. Yeah. And most of the time you see, if you see children in that type of situation, it doesn't turn out well. Or they're evil. Right. Like the bad seed, right? Or, mm -hmm. that, or that creepy Damien, Damien kid, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ugh. And you've got to worry that what if one of these demons does get a hold of um, Molly? Yeah. What would have happened if the demon that Booth brought up would go, you know, got into Molly? You just go, whoa, that's not a good, not a good deal. Nah, and that, I think that her. would be the one of the tipping points that unless it's done really well, <laughs> you could lose a whole lot of people. So, yeah, Sleepy Hollow Riders. Let's see what you got. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Game on. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about Jenny a little bit. So 
Jenny, our art- artifact queen and all around <coughs> BA, as we know, gentlewoman scholar. Yes. So she found one of her artifacts, the singing bowl, and she said that was the closest thing she could find to a witness detector. And I'm thinking divining rod, right? You know, she's right. out there. They're like, uh, and it's making that wild noise. I'm like, this is actually pretty cool. And that is used by the followers of Dalai Lama to track down the inheritor of his roles and responsibilities. So Jenny is very smart. She's very creative. She knows this world. She knows this stuff. She's gotten, she got even smarter when she worked with Crane and Joe and her sister on everything. So. I think it's very good that she went to D.C. She has a lot to offer. Absolutely. And so then here she is. She's pulled her trailer down. She's on a a new plot of land that her friend Larry owns. So it's uh, dirt cheap and it is dirt and it is cheap. And she says the sound of heavy heavy machinery puts her to sleep. But really, that place looked like a car junkyard. Oh, it absolutely was. Yeah. So... (laughs) That is going to, I think that's going to end up being kind of a creepy place at some point. We're probably going to see uh, one of the monsters show up there. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, ducking between, uh, you know, old burnout. I don't know. I hate to say Camaro because then that'll make somebody cry. But yeah, a bunch of old burnout, beat up cars and trucks. It'll make it very interesting. Yes, indeed it will. And Jenny said she had to be there. She said, Abby was your partner, but she was my sister. Yes. And she felt like she had the ability to impart wisdom from her perspective on how that affected her sister and what to expect. So not only could she help Molly, she could probably help Diana understand some of it too. And more than that, for Jenny, this is part of the grieving process. It's only been a couple weeks. In no manner, shape, or form has she gotten over anything. And I think that that's one of the things that she wants to do is to see who the the next witness is. I mean, if you stop and think one of the aftershock, somewhere in there comes bargaining, right? And right. this is probably Jenny's mode of quote-unquote bargaining, if you will, that th- this is how I get my sister back. I, I see where her eternal spirit or her eternal soul has landed. And then I'm going to know this person. And then in a way, I still have a piece of my sister. And and to me, that's very much a part of the, the grief process. Yes. But although it was interesting, because when she talked with Crane, and he said, Molly isn't your sister, Molly isn't Abby. And she said, she knows. But logically knowing and heart knowing are two entirely different things. Yes. So. And it will be interesting to see how Jenny handles this as she gets to know Molly and Diana. And will we see her disappear before the end of the season? Who, Jenny? Yeah. Oh, I don't think so. And and I think that what's going to happen, I I don't think so, because I think that Jenny is going to take over the role of an older sister, just the way that Abby was older sister to her. Right. Even though she felt a little, you know, she felt deserted by Abby when she was in the um, asylum that she had been, that she had just been forgotten because they did see those demons out in in the woods and Abby wouldn't admit it, but Jenny saw them. And so I think that what she wants to do is that she's been there. She's been through this. And I'm going to guess that she's going to be like a big sister because she doesn't want the kid to be deserted. She doesn't want the family to be split up. She wants to be there to say, it's okay. I know you saw it. I believe you. I hope you're right. I hope so too. 
I don't see Jenny running again. Jenny's right. character has become so strong over the past couple seasons. I, I don't see her running. I, I see her being rock solid and right there. I'm all for it. <laughs> Me too. But she did. She went to the school and she got busted after uh, Molly was getting taunted by the mean girls. And Jenny yeah. stopped them. You know, why don't we even the odds? <laughs> yeah. 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 I can I can beat both of you with one hand, kids. Yes. <laughs> and then Diana's mad. And she should be. What are you doing at the school with my child? You know, right. Who are you? Yeah. And if Molly wouldn't have opened her mouth and said something, that could have been the end of it right there. I think so, too. I think Diana would have said, I don't care what happens. You guys get out of my life. Yeah, and then so... Go away. Yeah, get out of here. Exactly. You don't mess with my kid. Leave my kid alone. And both Crane and Jenny, I think we're both trying to come up with a, uh, 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 you know, right. while Crane is so shocked because this is, he realizes who this person is. Right. And at that same point in time, Jenny realizes because she, I don't think she could have known that that was, no, she did know at that point in time, yes, that Molly's daughter, but this yes. is the first time Crane has seen her. Right. And so both of them, I think, are still in some complete shock. And so usually their quickness with a reply was a little bit on the pause side this time. Right. But at least Jenny was able to come up with a plausible, at least, excuse that, yes, there's going to be demons and stuff running around. Nobody is safe. So I was just keeping an eye out on your daughter to make sure she was safe. Yeah, I'm doing a security sweep of the school. Yeah. And I think that the fact that Molly spoke, just as you said, distracted Diana enough, and the fact that they had to go get the bad guys, and then the nanny showed up to take Molly home, kind of put everything on, on the back burner. And, and I'm sure that Diana will look at it later, especially after they talk to her. But yeah. But I think that another thing that Jenny said Actually, I can't remember. Yeah, I think Jenny said this. I don't think Crane said it. How does one bring an innocent child into the battle between good and evil? Yeah. And we're all sitting here. Yeah, writers, how do you do that? that uh-huh. Uh, yeah, how are you going to do that? But um, So they know we're they know. <laughs> thinking exactly the same thing. Yes, indeed. So they must have something awesome planned. I'm going along for the ride. I'm, I've got my, my faith button out there right now. Yep. So when they got into the house, uh, Jenny once again proved her artifact knowledge. When Diane and Crane are moving toward that knife that they clearly say, hey, this is the knife that probably killed the one sister that we found out by the lake. And as they're both moving forward to touch with it, Jenny's like, no, do not touch that knife. She recognizes the dagger and she tells him, hey, one cut of this thing and this means death. The other thing, of course, that she knew was that the one mundane object in the room could keep the magic around this house, this protective shield going for a long time. And then, of course, they figured that out when Diana touched it. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And She'll learn. Yeah, she's going to learn. She'll learn. You know what? They all made some mistakes. It's okay. That's how you yeah. learn sometimes, as long as the mistakes don't get you killed. So naturally, Jenny, uh, Jenny ran downstairs to help Diana. And it was interesting, even two against one, they both got thrown up against the wall by uh, the Wicked Witch. And I think the only way they were going to get out of it was because Crane broke the spell. Yep. And I think the only reason that, that uh, the downstairs witch hadn't knocked off 
Diana was because Jenny came running down and, and you know, it was kind of like the two for one special there. Right. So she had to throw him up against the wall before she could start chanting. Right. And that bought him enough time. But I did like Jenny's honest assessment when she and Crane were talking outside the formerly invisible house. And she did say, hey, Diana can handle this. And Jenny was concerned. How could it impact their family as it did hers? And so, again, I think that's, you know, Jenny is here for the long haul. She yep. wants to help. She doesn't want what happened to her, to Abby, to their father, to their mother, to happen to somebody else. And I say, you go, girl. Yes. Now, of course, during the episode, we did find out that Diana is not the best chef in the world, as she basically couldn't cook pancakes. That's why you have a Master Chef Junior on the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which, at the end of the episode, we saw could cook up perfect pancakes without any problems. I wonder if Molly is going to cook Crane's favorites. I wonder if she's going to already know his favorites before he even has to ask for them. <laughs> now that would be that would be a real woo-hoo-hoo-hoo moment, right? If all of yes. all that stuff that Abby knew, like those those croissants, what was it? Some of those croissants. I mean, the stuff they used to eat used to make me hungry. All right. these really yummy things. Molly might do something like that. Oh, that would be really cool if they did that. Yes, having both of them be foodies would. Um definitely uh, be nice. They are foodies. Yes. Now, we get introduced to a new character in this episode, Nanny Clara, and she's there to help, but... Yeah. As soon as she came in, I'm like, okay, is this somebody that we're going to have to watch out for here in the future episodes? Because my trust factor is not real high. Kind of like everybody... uh in the cast right now. Yeah, they're all under suspicion. Ugh. And of course, Diana does show her um, mama bear skills as she um, goes after both Jenny and Crane for um, being at the school near her daughter. So that was nice to see that she is a very protective mother. So hopefully when Crane and Jenny do break down and tell her, she will do something to make sure she gets protected. And it'll probably be bringing her into the vault. I don't know. Because she may not want her exposed to it. I mean, right. she might want to run her kid and take off for the but nearest we... deserted island somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that would probably be the um, normal reaction yeah, to, that, uh, yeah. to this. That would go through my mind pretty quickly. Yeah. And we, we I'm sure we're going to see something like that. And of course, we do find out that she does have some curiosity that, just like anybody else that's been involved, could get you killed if you don't know what you're doing. Don't touch anything in the store. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hands off. You might Walk break into it. into a witch's home, don't touch anything. Yeah. <laughs> at all possible. <laughs> but she did handle herself well and didn't freak out like you would expect somebody could possibly do. So she's at least showing a lot of the strengths that Abby displayed in season one, I believe. Yeah, a little very skeptical, but at the same time, like, um, doesn't okay. lose control, right? And doesn't freak out. She stays in the moment. So that's going to serve her well in the future, I'm sure. Yeah, it's, it's that solid police military type background and training. That yes. certainly enables her. Well, actually, it's 
you can keep your cool, and that's why you're in that position. Right. Normally, yeah. And it will also definitely be interesting to see how Molly comes out of this. If she, you know, because there at the end we see Molly made the pancakes and her and Diana are laughing and giggling and having a good time, just like things were before her feigning spell happened. And will that be the way Molly sees the world or will she eventually come around to seeing it through a witness's eyes? And I'm going to guess she's going to be able to see things because remember, as children, Abby, both Abby and Jenny saw those demons as kids. Yes. Abby just didn't say anything. Right. She didn't want to be labeled crazy. Yeah. Well, and we know that their mother did, too, because then her mother went kind of went nuts over it, right? Right. And we know her mother saw things. So, and that's why I, I wonder how much of this instinct is, is going to be uncovered within Diana herself as the mother of Molly. Right. That will be fascinating to see how they play this out. You know, the, I think when, when Molly at the end, when she said that she didn't know what it was, that she felt strange, like a shadow walked over my like a shadow walked over my shadow, like a friend was gone. And I thought, you know what? That's exactly the way we feel. You know, we lost Abby and a friend is gone. Yes. But, and, and it's, I thought that expresses it. Thank you for saying that. Mm-hmm. That's what the folks need to hear. Here. Yes. Yes. All right. How about our other two uh, intrepid uh Team witnesses. Okay, Alex and Jake. I really like these two characters. Um, they are they are funny. They are good together. Alex busts Jake for staying all night because he's wearing the same clothes as yesterday, and I'm like, <laughs> oh no. And I get you know, look, I'm sure that happens quite a bit in Washington D.C. Right? For a number mm-hmm. of reasons. One because maybe you've got some folks that are working on things all night, so they're wearing the same clothes, and another one's because well, they went out and maybe they partied a little bit too much, and they're wearing the same clothes. But she thought she was going to really get him for something. And here he's all excited because he's been mapping tunnels. Yeah, I, I'm looking. You know, we had this this demon booth down there the whole time. And he is just so excited. And he's just like, oh, my gosh, he's such a nerd. He's adorable. He's a great nerd. Yes. Oh, but he's fun. I think ultimately he's going to have to lose a little bit of the puppy dogness because he's Clearly very bright. He knows his stuff. He knows how to decode these things very quickly. He knows where to find the stuff. He knows what's in there. So I hope that they tone down the puppy dog piece a little bit and then let him shine as being brilliant and giving information as he did later on when he is kind of confirming what Crane thought about the three witches, about the Dyer sisters, and and telling them where the land is located. I mean, then he kicked into like that total go-get-it mode. But he is definitely still in fanboy mode. So that's going to ha- that's going to have to wear off and I'm sure it will. Oh yeah, I'm sure it will too. Yep. But I thought what was really humorous uh was when Crane was coming through the tunnel just right after Jake had talked about the tunnels and the demon <laughs> in there and to watch the two of them and how they react. Alex grabs a great big tall floor lamp, smacks the top of it off and she's ready to smack the heck out of whoever comes through. Jake, it looks like he, I'm not sure what he picked up first, whether it was like a glasses case or something small. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, and he kind of throws it back down the table. And then he picks up a laptop to hit them over the head with. Uh, well, okay, that's, that would probably work too. But, <laughs> but to watch the two of them, and, and we know that Alex, of course, is the weapons girl. So I thought that was pretty funny. 
Yeah. And not only is she the weapons girl, she's got a little knack for uh, digging around as well. Oh, she does, doesn't she? Because she's the one who found out that there was only one Ichabod crane in history because Jake is like, oh, no, no, there have to be more. Oh, no, he's the only one. He disappeared in 1781 and he reappeared three years later. And Jake immediately reaches the conclusion, oh, my gosh, he's a time traveler. And he wouldn't let go. <laughs> and Alex is like, uh, uh, and again, you know, later on, he goes, time traveler, boom, you know, <laughs> yeah. he's so excited about that. And I love how whenever things get too deep, Alex goes, I need to go check on my Tinder account. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I was thinking frequency because, of course, our, yeah. yeah, that you and I do, because, of course, she almost had a Tinder well, account, too. Yeah. <laughs> but interesting as well, Alex, when, you know, Crane is always the epitome of a, of a gentleman. And yes. he always called Miss Molly, you know, Miss Diana, Miss, Miss Jenny, right? And then when he says Miss Alex, oh, no, don't be calling me Miss Alex. No. I'm Alex. So <laughs> he hasn't had that. Well, he did have that before with um, that sweet young girlfriend that we were gonna, afraid was going to get knocked off in season three that he finally parted ways with. Zoe, right. is that her name? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So. And it, it took a while. She had to tell him several times to stop calling her Miss and to call her by her first name, especially since they were going out. But So this is going to be difficult for him with Alex. Yes. <laughs> so Now then. Alex did uncover the docs, some additional documents from Washington about the sisters. And at that point, Crane had realized that, hey, listen, both the, you know, demon booth with the artifact, there was an artifact there, some type of a talisman. And Alex looked through the house and she couldn't find what the sisters were guarding. Jake cracked the code. He realized that, hey, the monument and the witches, all this stuff is connected, right? Right. And so at that point in time, they don't understand the bigger picture, but of course Crane does immediately because he's the one who was supposed to be in charge of the organization. He knows what the mission is, and he he realizes there is a problem and that someone is collecting artifacts, but who's doing it and why are they doing it? Well, yes. we all know the who, but we don't know the why either. No, we sure don't. But we do find out a little bit more about good old Malcolm Dreyfus as he meets with a... Councilman or, or something, con probably congressman actually, probably congressman, yeah. some some kind of a member of the legislature, and who is on all these green committees, and yet is in bed with Dreyfus, and Dreyfus is doing anything but keeping the planet green, as he's got his people digging up farms and tearing down forests, and. Basically, Dreyfus tells him to go sit down. <laughs> I'm going to do whatever I feel like I need to do. Hmm. And that's collecting artifacts. And they aren't all stones either. No, they aren't the same circular tablet that was under uh, Lincoln's head. No, and that surprised but it me. It does look like it might hold the tablet. You know, it did look at like it, didn't it? Yes. As soon as we see it on his little block there, that was the first thing that came to my mind was, oh, well, you're going to set the tablet in that thing. That's what I thought, too. So if there's nine of those tablets, he's got to find nine of the holders to go with it. So he's going to have to pick it up if he's going to get it done in 13 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, 
I really want to know how Job went and found Ichabod's compatriot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and convinced him that he needs to come to D.C. That was a conversation I would have liked to have seen, even though Headless couldn't have responded. But I was going to say he could have shot his eyes telepathically at him, but Headless couldn't have read that message because he has no head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That. It's definitely a um, something I hope the writers can give us an answer to somewhere down the season. They probably will. But wasn't that an awesome, though, last scene? Oh, yes. Oh, that was fantastic. Yes, it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's going to, you know, you, you figure, okay, Headless and Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, people are going to write it off as small town people just trying to get publicity or something. But you get headless riding down the middle of D.C., that's going to freak some people out. Yeah, some folks might notice that. Yeah, who knows? Crane might get his uh, position sooner than later. <laughs> he could. And, of course, our Monsters of the Week were the dire sister witches. The three sisters formed a coven led by Maul, along with Marg and Maligo. They apparently were known to Washington, who decided to employ them, shall we say. Maybe your buddy Betsy found them. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me a bit if it was Betsy that informed Washington about the Dyer sisters. And, of course, they uncovered Benedict Arnold's treason via Major John Andre. And so Washington gave them the plot of land and charged them to guard the talisman, the witch stone, and apparently provided them with the glamour that would make them look young and keep the house invisible. And it was, you know, after you see the episode, you go back to the first scene with Dreyfus and it makes a little more sense. At first it was, you go, huh, what? But now it makes a little more sense. He was trying to trade a dagger, which kills everything it cuts, for the witch stone. And, of course, Maul did not want to do it. Well, that's because, and, they, that's because the two of the sisters thought it was a witch stone. Right. And, of course, Malcolm used their penchant for determining who's lying and who isn't and figure out that he's not lying and... They go right after the oldest sister, Maul, and take her out. Yeah, they wanted to go out in the world and have some fun, you know, like uh, like kids that have been on um, that have been grounded for a couple of weeks. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah restriction, like, three hundred year restriction. <laughs> so it made sense to me that right after that, okay, okay, we're we're not grounded anymore. Let's go to the bar. <laughs> yes, and of course, two guys try to pick him up and. They weren't very smooth to begin with, but it was even worse when witches found out that they were both married, and no, that was not going to end well for either one of them. No, it really wasn't at all. But I keep, I kept wondering, I I'm glad that we didn't get to see him like completely blow up or whatever in the middle of the bar, right. but I thought, yeah. and then how did those girls get out of there while everybody else was probably screaming and freaking out? But that's okay. I didn't need to see that. Ugh, no. gross. No. <laughs> all right. Shall we move into some side notes? Sure, why not? Lots of stuff in plain sight, right? Exactly. That was a great ep a great episode title because here in plain sight, you really c couldn't 
see, well, you could see the witches when you were trying to take a picture of them or the house, right? And then you saw what mm. they really looked like. They're 300 and however many years old years selves. Old, yeah. Yeah. Molly was certainly in plain sight. Headless. Yeah, she was. Headless. Headless was in, he was in plain sight. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. And then the clues about Crane that Jake and Alex were, were pulling apart. I mean, the truth is right in front of them. I'm not, I think that Alex is closest to discovering it. Because, right. although, in a way, Jake is right. He is a time traveler. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Jake will be the one who will, you know, once the truth comes out, he'll accept it and just move on. Diana and Alex, well, it may take them a while to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe not. I mean, Alex has, it, has the proof. There's only ever been one Ichabod Crane, and he disappeared in 1871. So why is he here in 2017? Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. something going on there. Yeah, something isn't quite right. And, of course, Headless coming out of the fog on the road was definitely another callback to Crane coming out of the fog with the big truck on the road. And sure seems the riders are trying to give us the, the, the good feels from <laughs> season one. Yeah, I, I, I feel a lot of that is a, it, like here, here are a lot of things we're, we're, we're bringing back that you really loved in season one as we reboot the show. You know, here's right. Headless. No, Crane was crawling out from um, an underground lair, right? And the, just right. the same way that he did in season one. Mm-hmm. He almost got run over by a plane, <laughs> but it was fog. And here was Headless in the fog. And there we got our truck. So it's going to be real interesting to see how many callbacks they do to try and, and make us feel going to and kind of recapture that magic. Right. Pun intended. Yes. <laughs> All right. Our guest cast was Kelly Massal as Malagro, Sarah Sanderson as Maul, Courtney Larkin as Marge, Eric Joshua Davis as Mayor John Andre, Carolyn Arapolagu as Nanny Clara, and Mark Campbell as George Washington. And it was awesome to see George back. Yeah, I have a feeling we're going to see George a few more times this season. Yes, I think he will probably be our Big uh, historical figure, uh, most seen this season. Shall we move on to prophecies and let's, theories? Let's do it, Steve. All right, I'll let you start off. All right. Well, as we've you know we've been discussing here throughout, uh, Molly is definitely the witness. We all think it's interesting that the writers are using a child. It is a very bold move, and I think it's it's going to be either incredibly brilliant or it's going to be a bomb because. I have to agree that there isn't anybody that could replace Abby. No. And to try and do so, I think, would have just angered people even more. More, right. Having a child never even crossed my mind. (laughs) No. No. I was thinking probably another male figure probably would end up being the new witness, but not a child. No. And and the fact that she's, what, 10 years old? Yes. 11 maximum. I mean, they're going to have to educate and protect her. You would think so. I know. And, and so, and exactly how much can she do? She's probably going to have a lot of the instinctive stuff, but, oh, I don't know. Oh, oh, the, oh, I know. The only other place where you had a good child was Harry Potter, but you didn't really have all, I mean, you had some adults around, but yeah, I, I can't believe I didn't think of Harry Potter. But, and he was a <laughs> wizard, of course. But, but he had to learn to be a wizard. But he had to, le- he had to learn. And so maybe she will learn too, but 
We don't have seven books, seven movies, or eight, eight <laughs> yeah. movies, I guess. We don't have all those books and movies out here in seasons and seasons to do this. So, well, let's see where we go. Yep. But that does make sense while Jenny is going to have more action this season. She's going to have to. Yeah, she has to. She basically has to be Abby. She has to be Crane when they're battling the demon. Yeah. And monster. Yes. And I really think that Malcolm, of course, has been trying to stir up trouble that would keep Crane busy while he's busy collecting his own artifacts that he needs for his nefarious plan. Yeah, because we know that it was, we're actually, we don't 100% know, but I'd say we're 99.9% sure that it was, uh, what, direct, uh, Director Walters. Walters, right. Yeah, has been working for Malcolm. And, he, of course, he got Crane. And Malcolm and Job were not too upset when Crane got out. No. Yeah. So, yeah, if he's fighting monsters, he's he's not going to be messing with them while they collect these artifacts. Right. So that kind of gets gets you to the point, and I think you threw this out earlier, Steve, when we were talking. Could they, behind, could they have been behind Henry, right? Right. Because if they were behind also, yeah, if they were also behind Pandora and a whiny one, (laughs) who's to say they weren't with Henry as well? Yes. Yes. This could have been Malcolm trying to bring about the end of the world all along and just going from one plan to the next. Maybe so. We got stopped. Well, let's, okay, let me find this. Oh, okay. Oh, whiny one. Yeah, that'll, that'll work. Okay. Let's dig up Pandora's box. Okay, that got defeated. All right, what's next? Well, let's move on to the next one. Although it seems to me that that Malcolm and Owani one would have been at odds because of Owani <laughs> one's narcissistic, unbelievable ego, and that he thought the world was beautiful and all the humans had to go. So, right. I, I almost I, I wonder if Malcolm would have taken out Owani one, a hidden one, Owani one anyway. Oh, I'm sure that he probably has enough artifacts to handle anything that could go wrong <laughs> with any of these plans. So what do you think is the deal with Job? Uh, that's a good question. You know, one week his eyes turn red, next they turn yellow. He has those color-changing contacts <laughs> that they sell at all the cons. Right, or um, I guess his eyes are like his mood rings. <laughs> it depends on <laughs> what he's feeling is what color he gets. So you, I almost wondered if, you know, is he is he a representative from, you know, the devil or Satan's office, right? Right. Yeah, I, he's got to be with the powers that he seems to have. Yeah, but he's also kind of like in check, too. And yet yeah. you, you would think that if he would be the one that would be in control of, uh, of Malcolm. Right. And who knows? Maybe he really is. Maybe he he's is. He's just playing along as being, yeah, I'm your right-hand guy, but... You aren't going to be able to do anything without me anyway. Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah. <laughs> I know if I was Malcolm, I wouldn't want to mess with Job. <laughs> no, I wouldn't either. Well, we've talked about the fact that these are not all going to be stone steps or tablets, and I think that we need another one or two before we maybe figure out, start to come up with some really solid theories on what they're doing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, of course, Alex seems to have trust issues. Especially about Crane. Yes, indeed. And it's curious that she likes to build weapons and doesn't trust Crane. Yes, she's got a Tinder account. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's a social butterfly hidden in there somewhere. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Maybe she has her tender picture is in a real superwoman costume or something. <laughs> now, that would be fun. Yeah. The, the way she grabbed that lampstand, though, I, I think that I'd like to see her in more of a fight where she doesn't get, you know, thrown across the room like she did last week right. by the demon, because I think that she could ultimately be pretty good. She has more potential to be able to handle herself than Jake, I'm sure. <laughs> it, it seems like it. Yes. But we'll see. And I think that Jake and Crane need more FaceTime. They're going to be fun. Yes. Once Jake tones down just a bit and they kind of start to really get to know each other, I could see it being very awesome. Yeah, me too. Playing right off each other, kind of filling that role where Crane starts a sentence and Abby used to finish it. Well, Crane will start a sentence and Jake will finish it because he knows so much of the what's happened. Yeah, and we need that dynamic. That is a good thought. I, I would like to see that happen. Yes, I would too. And I guess Diane is kind of bought in pretty quickly, but Abby kind of did too. There, you know, it only took a couple of episodes for Abby to buy into it. Yeah, and of course she was dealing with headless, so Oh, that's true. And she's that happened right in front of her. That was such a shock. Uh-huh. But again then Diana saw her partner also killed right in front of her where he just kind of went right yeah by the demon so they both had a a supernatural introduction before they even met crane right yes and i and i think as well again we talked about this earlier if diana is molly's mother i think that she's got some of that intuitive stuff and maybe they have some witches in her family history her background just like abby and jenny had grace dixon yes so maybe there is that sixth sense yeah, or maybe she, Diana, did have an incident as a child and that she hasn't it. admitted to anybody yet. Huh? Yeah, that would be interesting. All righty, Steve. So, uh, ickyisms then for the week. It seems like all the cast is getting them. Maybe we're going to have to call them hollowisms. Yeah, we might if this keeps up. That's for sure because we all had there were some really good lines. <laughs> Lay them on us. All right. Apparently, I lack the necessary clearance badge to access your department through more civilized means. <laughs> yeah. And those, and to give him one, they had to pull it out because it was what being used to uh, balance the table. Prop the table. <laughs> Prop up <yes>. the table. <laughs> <laughs> oh, supernatural threats lurk in every corner, and those volumes could provide clues as to how to defeat them. Well, problem is they're encrypted. Fortunately, I had time to write out the cipher for the code on my Uber ride. Yeah, nice. He knows Uber. I wonder if he talks to the um, Uber driver like he does um, on Star. <laughs> oh, I'll bet he does. <laughs> Our Jane Doe is one of the Dyer sisters. I believe her to be Maul Dyer, their leader. Right, a leader of a lie-detecting coven weaponized by George Washington, right? Maybe that's why he couldn't tell a lie. Not to Martha, that's for sure. <laughs> that went right over Crane's head. I was yeah. so that had me just hooting. That was yeah. so funny. And of course, Diana asked him, "Why do you know so much about witches anyway?" I was married to one. Yeah, <laughs> that was another great one. And Diana kind of gives him that look, like you're kidding me, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. And. Of course, Alex, how could you even build a time machine in 17? 
81, out of well blubber and wooden teeth. Oh, that was perfect. <laughs> yes. And then as they go into the house, Diana says, I'm in an invisible witch house with a B&E artist and a guy wearing knee-high boots with a crossbow. Perfect. <laughs> yes. And you knew it was coming because she was kind of questioning Jenny as to how she acquired her skills. Oh, yes. <laughs> and then one of the best ones was when Diana comes in and wants to know what her and Jenny are talking about as they were discussing that it was the witness is now Molly. Jenny goes, go sports. Creighton, sports. Nick's new draft pick. Crane goes, Nick, Nick has just been picked for the new draft which is superlative news. I'm a great admirer of his sporting. Jenny goes, nice try, Crane. Oh, yeah, he's absolutely clueless about sports. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. He Sports has not been one thing that he's uh, picked up on yet. No. <laughs> all. all right. How about this week's history lesson, Barb? Okay, we're actually going to talk about the Dyer sisters this week. Woo-hoo! Yeah, this was an interesting one. It the writers kind of pulled this out of some of the fantasy and fable and, and lore in uh, Maryland. So, Mole Dyer died about 1697. She is a legendary 17th century resident of Leonardtown, Maryland, who was said to have been accused of witchcraft and chased out of her home by the local townsfolk on a winter night. Sounds kind of like what they did some of that in Salem. She traveled no more than five miles from her home and fell upon a large rock, praying or possibly cursing her enemies with her hand held towards the heavens. There she died. Her supposed handprints remained on that rock for hundreds of years, and the legend carried on so long that the historical society has it placed in front of their building to this day. And I want to say, if you go on to TripAdvisor, you can find this as a place of interest to go visit. I kid you not. (laughs) Anyway, stories say her spirit haunts the land looking for the men who forced her from her home. The land near her cabin is said to be cursed, never again growing good crops, and an unusual number of lightning strikes have been recorded there. A white dog is mentioned as causing accidents on Mole Dyer Road. Now, the story has survived for generations, though no historical record has been found of Muldire's existence. Records from the colonial period are often incomplete, and the county courthouse burned in 1831, so early documents were lost. Historical evidence does include an immigration record which shows that Mary Dyer, and Mary is, again, a name for, a nickname for, or Mole is a nickname for Mary, Marge Dyer and Malago Dyer were transported to Maryland in October 1677 on a ship commanded by Captain Thomas Taylor. So there are your potentially three sisters. The Washington Times has called her perhaps Maryland's best known bit of witch lore. And the local uh, newspapers do reprint the story from time to time. Oh, and good old Major John Andre. Okay, so John Andre, he was handsome. He was artistic. He was beloved by the loyalist. He was admired by Washington. He was a spy, brave and cunning. And he also convinced Benedict Arnold to sell out West Point, and he was hanged at 31. However, he was born in 1750, more than 50 years after Muldyer died, so they never met. And she never did any work for George Washington, and so there goes the twistery. And I have to say that when they first were talking about Benedict Arnold on the show, and I thought, are we really going to go down this pack? Because last week we had talked about Washington getting killed, and I had talked about Timeless. And are we making history? 
Timeless Podcast that our two other good friends, Karen and Doug, do for Golden Spiral Media. And I thought, really? Because they did Benedict Arnold as well here. Yeah. Not that long ago. <laughs> and I thought, are writers stealing each other's like ideas? Do they talk about this at the bar before the witches that are taking them out come in or what? But anyway, I thought, huh, all right. Maybe those are just hot topics right now in uh, entertainment. I don't know. But anyway, so you can find links. I'm going to include them in the show notes. Um, a link to a Wikipedia article about Maul Dyer. Link to Legends of the American Bell and Blair Witches, Maul Dyer and Salem. And then link to ushistory.org on Major John Andre. If, again, if you'd like to read more about him, it's interesting. I never would have believed that those three witches were actually based on potentially history and uh, some very heavy-duty folklore. Yeah. <laughs> very interesting. Yeah. Nice job, Sleepy Hollow writers, for digging that one out. Absolutely. So, Steve, did we get any feedback this week? Oh, we got some feedback, all right. We're going to start with audio feedback from our bestie, Justina, and here she is. Hi, Barb and Steve. Wow, I really love coming home on Friday night and jumping into the supernatural world of Sleepy Hollow. It's so much fun. I'm already starting to like the new characters. This really is like Sleepy X-Files. With Alex and Job, Alex is really questioning why Ichabod Crane disappears from history for such a long period of time, and Job is quick to choose an explanation that would be quite fantastical. He's a time traveler, you see. That's got to be it. I really do love these two new characters in particular. And I like Diana, too. I used to watch her on True Blood, and now Janina Gavankar is playing a character that can hardly believe there's a fantastical world instead of being a part of that fantastical world. So it's interesting to see her play this new character type. I'm really interested to start seeing Ichabod and Molly interact now that Molly is back to talking and Ichabod and Molly have seen each other. The thing that's still confusing me about the setup of this season is why are all the demons coming to Washington, D.C. in the first place? Do the demons follow the soul transfer of the new witness? So because Molly lives in Washington, D.C., all the demons are being drawn in that direction? Or is something that that Dreyfus guy is doing drawing the demons? I'm just not really sure. I saw the previews for next week, and I am super excited. I just have one question. Is it Friday yet? This episode gets 8 out of 10 magical clock. Have a great week. Yeah, give me sleepy X-Files. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's exactly what you want. It kind of seems like it's turning into that way. It and, sure could. <laughs> and she likes Jake and Alex, too, just like I do. And time travel. We all love time travel. Yes. And she likes Diana. The actress was on True Blood. And yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how Crane and Molly interact with each other. That's going to be fascinating to see. Now, the point that I really liked that Justina brought up is, why are all the demons coming to D.C.? Do they follow the soul transfer of the witness, or is it Dreyfus? And I think now, knowing that Headless is coming, that's interesting. We know that the, the demon, uh, Booth demon, had to be there in D.C. because he was guarding the artifact. The witches were there. They were locked on their land. They were protected. They couldn't leave. That was land that was given to them by Washington. But Headless coming is a completely different dynamic. 
Right. That was Dreyfus sending Job to find him. Yeah. Tell him where Crane was. We'll have to watch and see if any more familiar faces come along or not. Right. All right. We do have some Facebook feedback as well. You want to take Linda's? Oh, yeah. Okay. So Linda, and we had asked her last week, hey, tell us a little bit uh, something about transient aphasia and Molly, because she is our medical expert. Anyway, so she got back to us and she said, responding with my extreme knowledge, aphasia is the loss of the ability to speak. It comes from damage to one of the areas of the brain that controls speech. Transient means it comes and goes, which means that she will regain her speech. This most frequently is seen in people with strokes. I believe her loss of speech is to allow her other senses to better guide her mother and Inkabod. Glad to help. Yes. Thank you very much, Linda. Absolutely, Linda. And Annette Nugget replied, it was good, but I'm not sure about Molly being the witness. They got to show us. Yep, they got to show us. All right. Last week's Twitter question was, what do you think is the significance of the stone tablet? And the one and only Sleepy Hollow Addict replied, it's the missing cornerstone of the White House laid in 1792 Masonic Ceremony. Now that, I kind of like that. Yeah, I do too. I, well I done, like Christine. I like that one quite a bit. So we'll have to uh, see how that, we'll have to see how that plays out. Now then the question that I threw out for this week was, what will Diana do when she learns that Molly is the witness? And Julie said, she'll probably go ballistic and try to have Ichabod arrested. Yeah, no kidding. Any mother would when a crazy person starts spouting supernatural crazy talk about their children. Either that or shoot him. Well, we kind of hope she doesn't shoot him. All right. And Net Nugget also replied to the question saying she will freak out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then Linda said she is gradually starting to believe. So she will act like a mom, try and protect her daughter from dot, dot, dot. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And we also got a five-star iTunes review this week from DJ Crew Girl. Love Sleepy Hollow so much, so I was excited to find an equally entertaining podcast. Great hosts who do their homework and bring insightful comments about the show. We really appreciate your five-star review and the kind words. Thank you so much. We want to welcome all our new followers on Twitter as well as Facebook, and thanks for all the retweets, favorites, and interaction. This week's shout-outs go to Julie, Annette, Linda B., Katrina Walker, Sleepy Hollow Attic, Jesse Lynn, William Herbert Jr., Bill Donald, Dada, Debbie Land, Kat, Michelle McKeever, Caroline, Roxanne, Vera, Pam, I Love TV, Dimitri, Kathleen A., Linda K., Pam, WTS fan and Chip. How can they get a hold of us, Barb? Okay, they can get a hold of us via our voicemail number, which is 304-837-2278, or you can go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback, where you can use the speak pipe widget on the side of the page to record audio, or you can typey-typey out your feedback on the form, or you can even attach an audio feedback. Now, our deadline is Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern time. You can also find us and interact with us on Facebook, on the Witness Prophecies page, or you can find us on Twitter at Witness Prof GSM. Steve is at Salyer Steve, and I am at Tangier14. All right, it's that time of the podcast where we discuss future episodes. So if you don't want to be spoiled, 
run, run as if you know that you've told a lie and there are two witches that are ready to rip out your tongue coming up to get you. All right. Episode three, a familiar villain heads to D.C. on an all new Sleepy Hollow. Woohoo. We know who it is. Yes, we do. When one of Crane's greatest foes comes to town to threaten the safety of Washington's highest officials, the team must work quickly to find a solution. Otherwise, the government will call out the uh, nukes. Jake's extensive knowledge of the tunnels becomes an important piece of the puzzle as they uncover a secret from the past that could lead to answers in an all-new Heads of State. Nice. They have a they have and they've got uh, one interesting person. We know that Headless is coming to town, but they also are going to have here finally Edwin Hodge as Benjamin Banneker, who played a huge role. Uh, behind the scenes. Again, this is a piece of history I think that a lot of people uh, don't know about. It was something that I'm learning about during the founding of our nation. So this is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to this one. Yes. Okay, episode four is going to be The People versus Inkabod Crane on January the 27th. Despair comes for Crane. Oh no, on the all new Sleepy Hollow. When a monster fashion to make its victims li- live out their most personal and haunting memories hits D.C., the team must find its weakness to save one of their own. Meanwhile, Jenny forms an unlikely bond that could be important in saving the world. Hmm. Can the group prevail against one of the most insidious monsters yet? Wow. Yeah. And we have two pretty cool cast members, guest cast members here, don't we? Yes, we do. We have John Noble returning as Henry Parrish. Hot dog. And. and yes. And. Get that ant in there. <laughs> Onira Taurus. If I sp- I'm hoping I'm saying her name correctly, as Grace Dixon is going to be back. So that's going to be just fantastic. Yes, we will see Henry in Crane's head, probably, and Grace in Jenny's. Wow, that would be interesting. Or maybe Molly's. Mm. Ooh. Yeah, wouldn't that be interesting? All right, episode five, Blood from a Stone. Dreyfus's past is revealed on an all-new Sleepy Hollow February 3rd. As Dreyfus gets closer to making progress on his mission, important parts of his past come to light. His former partner returns to settle the score from years before, and it becomes evident that Dreyfus's involvement in the supernatural is not something new. Ooh-hoo. Interesting that he has a partner, or a former yes. partner. Huh. That means yeah. somebody just as evil as he is, potentially. It or sure worse. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that'll be fun. All right, then after that, we just have episode, well, almost just have episode titles. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> so 4.6 is Homecoming. 4.7, Loco Parentis. 4.8, Sick Burn. 4.9 is Child's Play. And a little birdie told me that this is an episode that has a child that draws pictures that then come to life. That'll be awesome. scary. Yes, very. Episode 4.10 is Insatiable. And 11 is The Way of the Gun. 12 is Tomorrow. And you've heard a little rumor about this one, too, haven't you? And this is going to be the penultimate episode. Yes. I've heard that this one is a look at the near future if Dreyfus takes control. And we should see the Four Horsemen. It's a really creepy-looking setup. Should be a great episode. So now, so here's, here's what we, and so Steve and I were talking before we stopped, jumped on to uh, start the podcast. And one of the things that we talked about was, hey, you know, wait a minute, if the witnesses can be 
rejuvenated, reformed, then why can't the four horsemen, why can't they come back as well? Right. And so then that would mean that the battle would go on forever and ever and ever. <laughs> the, the battle between good and evil, which it's going to go on as long as the world exists. Yeah. So I think that's a very, I think it's very plausible that that could occur, that they could kind of come back to life. Yes, and that would be interesting because then would Henry Parrish come back? Would his soul come back? Who knows? Because they're going to yeah. use John Noble pretty extensively, I believe, this year. Right. So yeah. it will be interesting to see if uh, Abraham and Henry come back as horsemen or not. Yes. And, of course, the season finale is entitled Freedom. If you Lots want to catch stuff. up on some of the great season one and season two stories and monsters, pick up a copy of Sleepy Hollow Creating Heroes, Demons, and Monsters, the official making of book by Tara Bennett and Paul Terry. Yes, if all of you that are just jumping on with us, that is an awesome book to get a hold of and read. Okay, please review and rate us on iTunes with good ratings and reviews. It helps other fans of the show find us, as there are several other Sleepy Hollow podcasts out there. To subscribe in iTunes to any GSM podcast, go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash iTunes. Tell your friends, and we sure hope you're enjoying our podcast. This is Steve, and apparently I lack the necessary clearance badge to access your department through more civilized means. And this is Barb signing out and reminding you to keep plenty of frozen vegetable packages handy to use as ice packs on your head and wrist after spending hours with a singing bowl while trying to find your next witness. See you next week, sleepyheads.